Welcome to the Marketing Stir Podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, Associate Producer and Starista's Creative Copy Manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, Vincent and AJ catch up with Chad Engelgal, CEO at Axiom. They discuss the importance of building an identity graph, the intricacies of remote work in the business ecosystem, and the band Chad thinks is a good model for marketing. AJ celebrates his Sammy Award, and Vincent leans into awkward selfies. Give it a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Marketing Stir. This is a special episode. This is our season two premiere. Seasons? What? What are you, a TV show? No, we are not, but we wanted just to kick this off. We took a little hiatus over the summer, which with our best of episodes, as you probably have seen, just a few there, and we're kicking off season two, and we're kicking it off in style for so many different reasons. I, of course, am your host, Vincent Petrofessa, the Vice President of B2B Products and Partnerships at Starista. Let's talk about Starista for one minute. Starista, identity marketing company, we focus on marketing technology around identity. Like I just said, we have our own data, B2B, B2C. We help customers utilize that data to get new customers, to enrich their data. We have our own DSP. Email me at vincent at starista.com. That is how confident I am in our services. I just gave you my email address. The other thing I am confident in is I say week in and week out, ladies and gentlemen, my CEO, my commander-in-chief here at Starista, ladies and gentlemen, AJ Gupta. What's going on, AJ? Hey, Vincent. What a way to start off season two, just back from seeing all of you guys in New York. Uh, it was good to actually meet some of the people that have joined the team and through acquisitions and organic hiring. And I uh, can't say I've said this a lot, uh, but actually going to be traveling yet again. We have a big tennis tournament coming up. It's our uh, state championships. So we'll be uh, representing uh, San Antonio and Dallas. I love it. I love it. That's what the Dallas trip is about. All right. People have been listening to the podcast. They know about AJ's tennis adventures, just racking up the gold and the, the silverware, if you say not silverware, right? Hardware is the term, isn't it? Yeah, I guess hardware. Uh, it's, uh, we, no team from San Antonio has won the uh, Texas championship in about 25 years. So this will be exciting and uh, it'll be especially exciting because the uh, national championship is in Arizona, which will bring us to our guest. That's right. Yes. That, oh, what a beautiful transition. I, was, I'm, uh, yeah, I just lost <laughs> my job you, as you. the uh, upfront guy, as the, uh, you know, <laughs> as the upfront entertainment. I love it. Great transition. And speaking of hardware, I want to add this one more thing. AJ has just been named the individual of the year, the Sammy Awards, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know. Does that come with hardware, AJ? Do you get an award? I haven't gotten it yet. I did get a lot of likes, so it made me feel good. That's right. I posted a picture of you and I with an awkwardly close selfie that uh, I was like, "That's this is our personality. We're fun. I'm putting that picture out there. Yeah, I'm yeah. showing the uh, I'm showing how much fun we all have here. For, for the record, we were totally sober. 
Yes, we were sober, as you can still hear in my voice that that's recovering from all of those <laughs> not crazy nights here in New York City. But yes, I love this next guest. This next guest, one of my favorite CEOs out there, one of my favorite people, very down earth, very knowledgeable, a friend of the program. I've never was able to say that. I don't even know what it means, but I always wanted to say it. And yes, he hails from Arizona. Ladies and gentlemen, please, a warm welcome to the season two premiere, the CEO of Axiom, Chad Engelgal. What's going on, Chad? Hey, good afternoon, AJ. Good afternoon, Vincent. Uh, always great to see you guys, even, even at virtual. Looking forward to uh, not overindulging in beverages next time we see each other. <laughs> I, I can't wait. I'd love to finally meet you in person. I feel like I know you, Chad, because we, we chat quite a bit. You and I and AJ, we've done a few different panels together focusing on identity, identity resolution for the Direct Marketing Club of New York. We always appreciate the time that you lend to that fine nonprofit organization. And we are happy to have you here, Chad. For people who don't know, listening to the podcast, tell us about Axiom. All right. So Axiom is a 50-year-old company that has been building uh, customer intelligence solutions for direct-to-consumer brands. We specialize in kind of uh, over-index in financial services, insurance, healthcare um, areas. We also help service the government through a variety of marketing use cases. Uh, in our uh, non-regulated industries, of course, we are working with automobile manufacturers, retailers, travel and entertainment companies and uh, emerging clients for CPG and things. Similar to Starista, don't repeat everything you said, you know, very data-driven, uh, provide consumer insights, AKA data to our customers and build identity graphs, uh, build solutions that help them better engage, of course, with us as consumers and of course, create the business outcomes they need. I love it. And Chad, talk to us about your role as CEO. Obviously, people understand CEO as, as uh, I think, on the surface level, but I'd love to understand some of your day-to-day, -day, what you're involved in. And then my follow-up question is, how, how'd you get into this business? Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Um, I've been at Axiom for about 14 years now, for the most part, took a year hiatus uh, as a chief data officer at a company called Canesso. It's also part of the IPG family. But over the 14 years, I've primarily been in a leadership role around product as well as marketing. And so uh, it's been a, a tremendous journey. A lot has changed, of course, in the marketing ecosystem over the last 15 to 20 years. I've actually been in tech for about 25 years now. And as a committed lifelong learner, I've just loved being in tech because I've always wanted to learn what the next cool thing was and being on the cutting edge of technology. And so whether I started out uh, in a call center, which isn't very cutting edge, but uh, you pay your dues and you realize the pain that products that aren't developed correctly can cause clients, uh, you really get to understand the impact of the decisions made upstream prior to products getting into market. And that got me into really deploying technology solutions, getting people up and businesses, of course, on the internet early on. I joined Dell and spent almost a decade there, focused on internet server products, focused on innovation on Oracle databases, three-tier internet architectures. And then of course, spending most of my time at Axiom doing data and identity. And 
there's a lot going on each and every day to manage a business now at the highest level. But uh, at the end of the day, I love tech and love seeing how we can help solve client problems and make uh, marketing a better experience for people. And Chad, I know Axiom has been very involved with Identity Graph. Can you tell us a little bit about your identity graph and how you guys uh, view identity? Hey, AJ, I love that, you know, it said the marketing club in New York City and other areas, identity is a very hot topic. And of course, it's way more than just one thing. Axiom itself specializes in creating identity graphs for brands themselves, which is really part of an overarching data-driven strategy that I like to um, share with our clients. And in the first area around create, not only creating a overarching data strategy, but what do you want to do with data and what differentiation will it allow you to create in your customer experience and of course your business outcomes? Then how do you create a data-driven organization? And the third tenant of that is the creation of an identity graph. It is fundamentally critical because if you don't have a place to anchor insights, whether they're consumer insights, so you can recognize people over name change, location and time, or even business identity graphs, which I know you guys specialize in quite a bit, so you can recognize businesses, uh, you can understand relationships between those business entities, parent companies, divisions, et cetera. And of course, you can reach people in key roles across the business. The fundamental management of data information today is based on the ability to have an identity graph anchoring it. And so the solutions we build called Real ID Solutions not only focuses on what's considered historically offline data, personally identifiable information about people, names, addresses, emails, um, phone numbers, uh, but of course, more digital identifiers going forward uh, in the ecosystem, whether that's an IP address, um, whether that's hashed email addresses, still cookies while they exist today, first and third party, and unifying those uh, in a way that manages privacy compliance captures and manages consent uh, based upon the collection of that information directly from consumers. And of course, anchors all the data that can be used in a variety of analytical use cases, marketing use cases, or even business intelligence use cases in other applications for the business. Janet, no, there's a lot of things that Axiom specializes in, and there's probably a lot of uh, companies and clients that uh, you have that span across industries and verticals. But is there sort of an ideal client uh, profile that uh, you have that uh, your sales team works off of? There is. And I would say that an ideal client historically for Axiom has been those brands that do have a direct consumer relationship. As I mentioned earlier, you know, financial services, we are absolutely the industry leader in creating financial uh, marketing solutions, prospect marketing solutions that are governed uh, and highly regulated as well as customer marketing solutions for financial. And one of the reasons why we lead in there in other areas is because they have a lot of consumer data. We as people give our banks a significant amount of money uh, and of course a significant amount of data with that as well. And they create a tremendous amount of value for us, our ability to borrow money on homes and automobiles and business investments, to invest those things to make more money. And that data has to be managed in highly sensitive areas, um, you know, of course, encrypted at rest, um, anchored in insight so they can understand people and create more value for them. And of course, banks today look very different than they did 25 years ago. You can get almost any service from the same bank. And banks often compete for a variety of your investment and banking needs. So uh, any company that has access to and now more emerging companies who want to actually 
pivot to having more direct consumer engagement are the brands that we tend to specialize in and, and we do best with because we know how to help them do that. Um, and of course, uh, add to those insights as well. And Chad, I love seeing your, I don't want to maybe rise if you will, but I, I, I through Axiom, but I, more important, I love seeing the different positions that you've had there. A lot of those being focused around data. I want to ask you, did those early years at Axiom kind of in the trenches of data help you out to where you are now? Absolutely. And I really, my strategic decision to kind of leave what was generally considered, you know, a hardware and software business at Dell after almost a decade and move to Axiom was the clear understanding that, uh, as amazing as Dell is as a company and one of the first hardware manufacturers that were direct to consumers and direct to brands businesses with 80% of their business coming from selling to other businesses, they had a tremendous amount of data and more insights about customer purchase behaviors, whether it's B2B or B2C than any other tech company I believe in the world because of their direct model. But even Dell at times struggled with anchoring that information in a meaningful way, having it shared, having a single version of the truth, filling in the gaps about all the data and information that consumers didn't provide to Dell, the other aspects of their life, right? Or the other aspects of what drives a business from the purchases that they weren't making with Dell. And so that got me interested in joining Axiom and especially around this area around identity. And I had the opportunity to come in and look at one of their uh, emerging products called Abilitech Historically and uh, help bring that into the digital age over the first you know, five or six years of my work there, as well as just uh, help modernize a strategy around enterprise clients and how we take the third-party data insights and ensure that we can complete and enhance all those records uh, beyond just behavioral assets that we use for marketing purposes and begin to anchor a story around the power of identity, which ultimately led to uh, Axiom acquiring LiveRamp, and then of course, uh, subsequently, you know, um, LiveRamp becoming an independent publicly traded company because of the power of identity and the economic value that creates for shareholders. So it's been an amazing journey uh, throughout my time at Axiom. And as you said, identity has only grown in importance over that 14 years. Yeah, and I, and I know that Strista having its own data and you again, being in the trenches and a lot of things you do, data plays a huge role in what you're doing at Axiom. Absolutely. So in being trusted to manage our clients' data is at the top of the list. Um, many people do associate Axiom with one of the leading providers of consumer insights, aka third-party data for those in the industry. And not only do we do that and append that to our clients' data, and we sell it as list files to thousands of companies, and of course, we make those audiences available in the digital ecosystem with our tremendous partners like the Trade Desk. You know, I know you participate with them as well, and Oracle, and Google, Facebook, et cetera. And um, it's a great place to be in the industry because the audiences create efficiencies for media buying, but they also fuel the earned media, and of course, the owned media that happens on a consumer site. So data is critical. It is a differentiating strategy for businesses. The world's largest companies are absolutely focused on differentiated data strategies. And uh, I know um, we've shared and talked highly about uh, companies needing to be data-driven or being displaced. 
And I fundamentally believe that as a business executive and continue to uh, try to educate and um, inform as many other executives to the power of what data creates, not just for your ability to market, but your ability to understand uh, your buyer, to uh, build the right products, to service clients in the right way, and of course, drive your financials. Chad, you and I met at the uh, ramp up conference and the meeting almost didn't happen because the booth was uh, somewhere in the basement, <laughs> but I'm uh, glad you navigated and uh, found us. So with, with the pandemic and sort of the uh, interactions having gone away, how difficult was it to manage your team remotely? And especially you have worked remotely for a while, so I'm sure you have some guidance for a lot of people uh, who had not done that before. Yeah, it was great meeting you. I think definitely kismet. I know we've established just a great relationship and I just marvel at what you've been able to do at Starista and how you grow that business. So kudos to you there. You know, the, the aspect of remote work and whether we're going to be going back to office or, you know, do you need to mandate that someone is vaccinated when they come back to office? There's a lot of change going on in the business ecosystem. But what I would share specifically to that question is uh, Axiom is lucky in that we had over 30% of our associates working remote. And I was an individual who was able to take advantage of that in my entire career at Axiom and never had a specific office uh, in one of our locations you know, around the globe, but was able to contribute at a high level. And I think between individuals, of course, across the globe who were able to do that, we proved as a business model that you need to focus on people's skill sets and effort and their ability to deliver on the requirements of the job versus where they're located. And it wasn't you know, easy or perfect, our transition during the pandemic to go from 30% remote associates into a, almost 100%. We do have um, an amazing crew of people, still less than probably 3% of our overall population that show up in the office to maintain the technical infrastructure and the buildings themselves that we own and operate in the data centers for our clients. But we've, it's been a strong transition and we actually just looked and we have associates in 40 states now in the US alone and of course across the globe. And so um, being flexible by design is one of our principles, creating frameworks so that managers have the tools and the techniques as well as are consistently encouraged as well as you know, arguably monitored so that they're keeping in touch with their team, they're setting expectations, they're managing performance, they're focused on our customers um, it hasn't been perfect or easy, but it has, I think, allowed a level of freedom, uh, especially for those individuals who've had to take care of children during their time as well, where kids couldn't go physically to their school or having to take care of elders. If they didn't want them, you know, in other facilities or, you know, we're all getting older over time, but it's been a great transition. I've just been very proud of everyone in our company and their ability to adjust while continuing to first and foremost, stay focused on our client needs. And so that's, that's been a very uh, positive experience over the last 12 months as I know we grasp, grapple for some of those things. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you firsthand, I was very excited when the uh, schools opened in Texas. So I don't know how the teachers do it, but it was a tough uh, handful of months here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Jed, with things opening up, I know we were discussing before the podcast started, uh, looks like you're back on the road a little bit and uh uh, uh, there might be some events coming up. So or do you think the next uh, six to 12 months are going to be different? Do you expect some of the in-person events to return? Uh, um, I'm cautiously optimistic at this point. Um, 
you know, again, depending upon the state that you're in, there are very high levels of vaccination rates, which are uh, equating to lower new Delta variant infection rates. And people are ready to get out. We know that. We do have clients accepting meetings in person. Uh, we, of course, are, you know, adhering not only to their local uh, laws or, or preferences around, of course, masking, vaccination rates, you know, the type of facility we can meet in, social distancing, et cetera. But people want to meet. Uh, people are ready to get back to some level of normalcy. And I think if we can do that while keeping a focus on individuals' health, it's going to be a good thing. And so we're opening up, going from remote-only events to these hybrid events, as we talked about before the call, for those people who are comfortable in person or are close by, um, I'm leaving an option open for them to attend in person. And of course, keeping that content available for live streams and recorded for people to view it at any time that they want. And so I think we're all just continuing to learn on what do we need to do next and how does it make for uh, meaningful engagement and reusable content from a marketing perspective. So I bet, you know, even after the numbers subside, most of all, this concept of virtual and remote and of course recorded content like these broadcasts really are powerful because people can consume it whenever they want to consume it. And I think that's a positive thing. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm hoping to, like I said, AJ was just in town. We met up with a bunch of people, met up with some clients. We're hoping that I just signed up for two conferences coming up in person in October and also uh, November, the Silver Apple Awards here. So I'm hoping that takes place. Uh, Chad, I wanted to go back to something you said before, be data driven or be displaced. I heard you mention that. I also saw a recent release of that. So can you elaborate on some of the fundament, fundamentals, excuse me, on uh, being data-driven? Yeah, for sure. Like I said, I tried to simplify it for, for most executives versus people who have spent their life, of course, in the technology space or even the data space. But one, you know, the first premise there is, of course, create. You, if you do not have a well-articulated data strategy, you can't even get out of the gates. Uh, how are you going to collect data? How are you going to control that data? How are you going to permission it? Um, what is the end in mind for the use cases so that when you do things like a privacy impact assessment, those things can be documented and managed in code in order to adhere to an increasing amount of legislation on how especially consumer data is collected and managed. Um, then of course, it's not just enough to have a strategy. There is fundamental organizational dynamics where people often tend to use data only when it defends their perspective, right? That aspect of confirmation bias. Thanks to the internet, I think any and everyone can find something on the internet that defends their position uh, by someone who looks like an authority. But really inside the four walls of business, being data-driven um, is critical and having a data-driven mindset that you want to question and you want to validate things through the use of data is, is fundamental. The third area in that, as we mentioned already and already talked about was then having a place to anchor those in a way that allows you to keep track of either a business entity or in a bit that relationship or even individuals, households um, over again, name change, location and time so that the data has a high level of quality and that's the creation of those identity graphs. Um, that said, you know, the second pillar is around connecting that data, uh, connecting that data internally so that it can be used uh, by the right organizations to make those decisions, connecting that data, not only your first party data that we're primarily talking about, but with third party data 
from companies like Starista and Axiom, Dun & Bradstreet and others. And then think about connecting that data across your owned, earned and paid media. If you, the data that you have isn't informing the millions and millions of dollars that you spend on media, what is? Because now you have different data sets uh, making decisions on your business on how, who you're reaching and, and how that's performing. And then, of course, in the third area there around um, activating, you know, really activating those insights, activating those insights for learning. Uh, data informs how your audiences or how your decision making process evolves over time. And there's aspects in that area about how you activate those insights, create better business outcomes and, of course, create greater value with the ad dollars that you spend or the activities that you're doing from a customer experience initiative. So tried to keep it very straightforward and simple, but there's mm -hmm. a lot of powerful aspects of it underneath there that I'm uh, asking the real experts at Axiom to uh, build on over the next few months to really give people more data and information about how to transform their business. Yeah. And if they're not data driven, like you said, they're displaced. And, and you know, what's your meaning around displaced in this situation? I mean, think about it. Um, the fastest growing companies in the world and it's easy to point to the, the big companies, but I'll do it anyway. And then I'll point to some other areas. But um, Google, Facebook, Netflix, right? Apple, 100% of the data that they collect is anchored in identity graphs so that it can be leveraged by the business. It drives personalization engines that are amazing and at a level that most companies you know, won't be able to reach for the next three to five years. It informs the decisions on product adoption at the individual level and at a level of breadth uh, because of registration process, activation through software within the hardware itself, aspects of IoT that fundamentally didn't exist 10 years ago where it doesn't matter who actually sells your hardware, you, you can create a relationship with the consumer and anchor that data and information to drive business decisions. Again, whether it's product related, financial related, customer service and support related, et cetera. Um, but look at companies like Allbirds uh, from a tennis shoe. You know, they didn't have to go to a distribution service to become one of the fastest growing shoe brands in the world. They had a great product. They had a good value proposition and they went direct to consumer and they are one of the fastest growing shoe brands in the world. And they, again, anchor all that information. They spend more time not on supply chain management, uh, but of course on customer engagement and experience and learning from each and every interaction and how to find the next best client based upon everything they know about the best clients they have. Um, but again, the ironic things in the world where uh, the world's biggest transportation companies, Uber and Lyft, don't own any vehicles, right? Or you look at the world's biggest you know, uh, hoteliers uh, like uh, VRBO or Verbo, right? And Airbnb, don't even own buildings. They're driving all of this around data and the ability to connect data and people through technology and continue to offer their existing clients greater value propositions and access to information that they want at a speed that others aren't matching. And that's why they're growing so fast. And speaking of big data, so it looks like COVID stole the uh, thunder of uh, CCPA and some of the other regulations that were being talked about a lot pre-COVID and then COVID happened. And now obviously it still looms in the background. So how is Axiom dealing with sort of the uh, uh, additional regulations and statewide regulations that are being placed on data providers? 
I mean, it's an amazing question, AJ, and I know you and I have talked about this. As CEOs of businesses, um, there is no bigger economic challenge that American businesses face than the increasing amount of individual legislation that's being created, 15 plus active today, uh, being articulated at the state and or local levels about how data can be collected and used. I am an advocate and been speaking for years that the United States requires a unified set of policies at the federal level that supersedes all state and local policies that is similar to GDPR, which uh, balances the benefits of us as individual citizens and people with the economic benefits of data collection to the economy. It creates a position for controllers, people who we give our data to freely, and processors, those who manage data like ourselves in order to create incremental value for customers. It's literally supply chain management one-on-one, -on -one, 101 on why uh, our economy needs those things. And of course, marketing is a supported use case. So I just got done writing letters to our top 20 clients, their CEOs. I asked our chief privacy officer to write letters to the top 20 clients, CPOs, as well as our head of marketing on how critical it is for us to support initiatives like Privacy for America at privacyforamerica.com as business leaders to push our legislators to focus on this initiative so that we don't have to try to comply with numerous disparate and different um, regulations around this. And I'll just you know, try to close on this point that CCPA alone costs the US economy a minimum of $55 billion. Now just start adding that up you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times or more because of the ability to do this at a local level or a district level. It is untenable to us as business leaders that we allow this to happen and we need to push the people who can fix this problem, our legislators, to focus on this initiative and get it solved in the next year and a half. I couldn't uh, couldn't agree with you more. Unfortunately, in our world, uh, third party data has become sort of this bad word almost outside the industry. And I think uh, for me personally, without that access to third party data, I wouldn't have been able to build this company because back in the day I needed jigsaw uh, one dollar per contact easy access to data which really leveled the playing field in terms of me being able to prospect and reach out to uh, prospects in a way that i think uh, people don't quite understand what the world would be if there was no marketing that was being done so. i totally agree and you you know you have an amazing success story and just the problem is and we're starting to write about this as well um Conflation, conflation of bad actors with those who are good actors, conflation with marketing use cases that don't create harm, uh, uh, no material harm, right? Of course, our free inboxes at Google may be filled up more, but if and when good actors uh, adhere to your opt-out, that, you know, that marketing flow should stop. Uh, but you know, conflating people who are doing things negatively or doing things in bad way or non-transparent ways with those good actors like Starista, like Axiom, like Dun & Bradstreet and dozens of others, uh, is, um, you know, sensationalism in journalism that doesn't create any benefits for us. Uh, and in fact, you know, does not tell the, the, the full and accurate truth of uh, the benefits that are created or how real data is used by ethical companies. And Chad, with a company like Axiom that's been around for a long time, um, recently got acquired by IPG, uh, what, what are some of the things you have done in kind of bigger picture terms to build the continue to build the brand and have that uh, 
great reputation in the industry that you guys uh, do, and especially with kind of uh, you taking over as the CEO. It's been an amazing journey over almost the last three years. And as I mentioned earlier, I did spend a year inside of another data and technology firm within IPG and booting that up uh, to become a public company called Canesso. And I think the biggest opportunity, of course, is to be able to tell our story to more clients. IPG is a holding company, has thousands of their own unique customers who weren't part of Axiom's thousands of customers. And my ability to uh, be invited to the table to speak to CMOs, to speak with CEOs, to speak with heads of media and marketing or digital advertising and share the power of first party data, especially to those companies who haven't had a data strategy historically about the benefits it could create for them. And I've seen over the last few years, a tremendous shift in these customers' willingness to um, explore and of course focus on, okay, yeah, what is our data strategy? Okay, how does that inform how we're gonna operate as a business? How does that inform our technology decisions and what we need to be successful? And I've been very pleased at the progress I've seen across numerous brands who are now reaching out with RFPs and RFIs and are, are leaning in to actually acquire technology they never thought about before or acquire data sets that they had never used historically to be more data-driven. And so it's just been a tremendous journey in terms of getting to know new brands, hear about their unique challenges, issues, and opportunities as well as help them progress down this data-driven strategy. You know, Chad, for, for you and, and for AJ, being CEOs, you guys are also very visible. You're very involved with the customer journey. I, I see that from, from both of you. And I would imagine, like AJ touched upon it, but you know, meeting people in, in, in person was a big thing, part of what we did, conferences. What did you do? throughout that time to really, for you to stay in front of customers, to maintain those strong customer experiences that you're known for and Axiom is known for. You're right, Vincent. Uh, customer experience and of course, customer relationships are the foundation to any business, whether you're direct consumer or you're a B2B company like we are. And one of the things that we did was reboot our customer advisory board so that we went out to some of our top clients and created virtual events for them to simply come in and listen and inform our product strategy. We do first party research. We ask them, we were leaning in more to quarterly business reviews that our individual account teams were having and trying to drive specific messages, not just about what we were doing from a product perspective. What are we doing from a people perspective? DNI, how are we responding to uh, the COVID environment itself? You know, do they have any feedback for us on things we could be doing different or better in supporting them through this initiative as one of their primary service providers? But really trying to take those existing relationships, which were readily available to us versus the new logo relationships, and you know, doubling down on them simply willing to, or understanding that we're willing to listen and we want their feedback, creating forums for that. And really, you know, kudos to our marketing organization by creating just very high quality, interactive. Um, digital, you know, first events that allowed for active in-time, you know, or real-time engagement, as well as recording of those webinars engagement for consumption after the fact for people who just couldn't fit that into their schedule during those times. So uh, it is critical uh, going into pitches, helping them determine, you know, RFIs, 
anything and everything we could do. You know, if you can't get there in person, you definitely can be there on a Zoom call. So it's been fun getting to know and re-engage with more accent clients and meet those who I didn't know historically, as well as just try any and everything we can do to have a voice of the customer as part of our core business. And now, because I've seen some of the webinars and, and uh, you guys have, a little, there's some podcasts that you guys do as well. Can you tell me about some of those that you released? Tell the audience about some of those as well. Well, we appreciate the opportunity to share kind of some of the cool things we're doing, like your Marketing Stir podcast, which <laughs> I heard has 30,000, you know, subscribers. So you're, you're beating us there. So uh, 48,000 uh, listeners each <laughs> episode, but it's okay. Who's counting? I am. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're counting. So <laughs> uh, no, that's great, uh, Vincent. And we've done a lot in webinars. So we've done some webinars, for example, with Forrester and IAB Tech Lab. Uh, we like to partner with third parties who also can provide thought leadership. So what we do doesn't come off, you know, sounding like a, an online, you know, infomercial or something like that. We really try to get at the heart of industry challenges and issues, our perspectives on them, of course, but not just a product pitch. And so the webinars are recorded and available centrally located on our um, homepage. So if you do go to axiom.com and you click on the resources pull down, you can actually see our podcast that are focused on industry verticals, such as financial services, insurance, automotive. You can also see uh, general uh, content and technology around identity, the utilization of data, COVID response and pivots that clients are taking uh, in audience creation and activation. And in fact, our data guru service just won an award for their real-time engagement over the last year and a half with helping customers redefine audiences since there was this tremendous swing of you know, physical engagement with brands and of course, historic engagement, whether that was uh, direct mail or email to a digital first approach and how do you balance those things out and how do you reach those kind of people? So across the board, you know, we're sharing what we're learning as well as a brand and helping empower as many uh, clients as possible to pivot and take advantage of the economic opportunities that this pandemic actually created in many areas even though it unfortunately, you know, did negatively impact a few verticals more than others. And I think, Chad, one of the things we have found useful in terms of kind of the uh, engagement on either LinkedIn or podcast has been this personal aspect that uh, people are, are, are sharing because lives are blending in as more and more people uh, work remote. So one of the questions I had for you was uh, our producers tell me that you wanted to be a rock star. So we'd love to learn a little bit more about that part of your life as well. Ah, uh, great, great. Clearly, you know, uh, although I might look like Michael Stipe, I think is the closest <laughs> I look like to now. Uh, I didn't always look like this. You know, I was not always this striking. Uh, but <laughs> I did, it is funny because one of the first interviews I had, I got asked the question at the end, you know, how did you learn, you know, to love marketing or whatever? And I was like, oh, well, the rock band Kiss. Um, I mean, talk about a, a business. Kiss is, is a band, but they are clearly a business. There has probably been no greater merchandised entity in the outside of maybe Coca-Cola. And I, you could argue maybe Kiss has exceeded the branding of, of their business uh, compared to Coca-Cola even. And so just the fact that... Um, these individuals, once you actually read anything about them besides just listening to their awesome music, was really smart people, highly motivated, had a business end in mind, 
feel, you know, could, could, could weather different changes in music styles and, uh, you know, uh, you know, decades of business, but always stays focused on how do we delight KISS fans, the KISS army around the world? How do we stay relevant? How do we continue to merchandise and maximize our revenue while again, having a great time and meeting our customer needs? And so, you know, bands have done that through a variety of ways. And we see now some of our famous rock stars in the world, Steven Tyler at Aerosmith on, you know, leading shows like the, um, uh, America's Got Talent, I think he was on that one, but you know, the rock stars in The Voice, like Adam mm -hmm. Levine, yeah. you know, they, they are showing up everywhere. It creates benefits for their bands. It creates benefit for us as people to get to know them. Uh, entertainment is a business. And I think, you know, rock and roll for sure uh, has done a great job uh, marketing itself. This makes a whole lot more sense, Chad. I, 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 the original interview just said, how did you learn about marketing? And it said kiss. So this, uh, I was always yeah. intrigued by that. So we got a crack team of producers here. I told you. <laughs> got to watch out. Everything you think is on the internet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so one question, which is our signature question. I'm sure as the CEO of Axiom, you get tons of unsolicited emails and people trying to sell you uh, all sorts of data that they found on an old CD. Uh, how do you kind of decide who you're going to talk to and which ones do you respond to? Which ones annoy you the most? Excellent question. I think about that every day because I have an email address that has been around for 14 years. And so I literally get a dozen or more emails before 10 a.m. every day that, uh, somebody bought off of some list somewhere. So um, there's way too much spam in our industry. And I think, you know, these creative or funny approaches in the business environment aren't necessarily beneficial. Uh, the, you know, the threat that they're not going to get back with you if they actually don't answer their email, you know, I kind of always chuckle and, and delete it again, hoping that they'll be true to their word. But I think the main thing, like always, like what's, what's the value exchange? Can you give me some interesting insight and, and lead me to want more? Can you actually provide me with some industry research or some valuable statistics that might pique my interest uh, versus just an onslaught uh, and repetitive request for my time or my information? And so I think if you go to any marketing engagement with what's the value exchange between yourself and the other individual, whether it's in a business context or personal context, then um, you're going to get somebody to show some interest and then you can nurture that interest from there. And I will say it is amazing, like I said, the power of data and how much interest, you know, Instagram alone can get based upon the algorithm of the things I consume to get me to go, you know, look at this old record or to, you know, buy this shirt or, you know, do other things. When you do it right, it's a powerful tool. Uh, but when you do it wrong, as you said, it just kind of uh, is annoying. So. I think as industry providers, we need to keep that in mind at all times. What's the value exchange? Yeah, no, I agree that that's you, you put that in a very eloquent way of, you know, people saying, hey, if you're going to reach out to me, make sure it's a decent match. Don't waste my time, essentially. So, yeah, I feel the same way about, you know, just marketing in general. I talked about it in this podcast where um, I'll discover a new brand because marketing presented it to me. And I was like, well, I never heard of this brand, Todd Snyder, Charles Chawit. Like, this is great. Look how great this shirt looks on me. I'm a slim fit. No way. But uh, so I love that uh, aspect about our business. This is a small sliver of our business, of course. But so, Chad, let's talk about as we wrap up here. 
shining moment last 10 years that kind of stood out to you uh, for work? Well, for absolutely just being part of, of, you know, we are business at the end of the day. It was an amazing equity event when Axiom was sold, of course, to IPG. It creates a tremendous amount of value for IPG and IPG clients, as well as Axiom clients. It also created a tremendous amount of value for all of the shareholders of Axiom stock uh, as it migrated and transitioned into LiveRamp stock two and a half years ago. So, you know, you can be proud of those things, even though it separated the family, so to speak. Uh, at the end of the day, it created the, the best equitable outcome for shareholders, and that's what business is about. And then again, just being on this journey, again, coming in from being a product leader to, um, you know, running all of product around data and identity at Axiom, to being their CMO and head of strategy, to now being able to uh, take the helm, so to speak, as CEO, I'm just proud of all the people I work with. I have dozens and dozens of friends and literally hundreds of colleagues that I know and understand the impact they create for our clients each and every day. It's just been a tremendous journey uh, in the last 10 years to see what my choice to join Axiom 14 years ago has not only produced for myself, but produced for everyone that I work with uh, and our customers as well. I, I love hearing that. And then the next concert you're going to what's the first concert back i know you're i knew you're a music fan because normally when we talk to you and you're at home there's some sweet memorabilia in the background there if you came to my uh, apartment there'd be some sports memorabilia there what's the first concert back and i will tell you mine all right well unfortunately uh it was going to be zz top uh but dusty oh, Hill just passed away yeah passed away um uh, interesting fact zz top the longest tenured band with original members. So, of course, going all the way back to Deguelo, right? Trace Hombres, uh, those cats were amazing. But uh, queued up behind that was, of course, the Black Crows. But uh, when they canceled due to COVID, they didn't reschedule for Phoenix. But wow. I am, in fact, a, a, a ticket holder um, for uh, the Poison and uh, uh, excuse Def me, Leopard, right? Leopard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Motley mm -hmm. Crue and Joan Jett and the Blackhearts and uh, are absolutely looking as I saw Guns N' Roses just dropped a concert in into August over here in Phoenix so uh, CGNR may, may be a must again uh, they're always amazing that's awesome yeah I had uh, for Mother's Day I purchased my wife Lady Gaga who my kid and I also like her music I tried <laughs> to point it off of my wife but uh, she had canceled but then Elton John the farewell tour. He's he wasn't going out like that. So Elton John, <clears throat> excuse me, on March second, Elton John at the Barclays Center here in Brooklyn. So so great catching up with you as always, Chad. I, I can't wait to meet you in person. I feel like I've known you for years. We always appreciate your time. I, I love what you're doing. I love how you break it down uh, for for us and our listeners. Keep up the amazing work there at Axiom. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Chad Engelgau, the CEO of Axiom. I am Vincent Petrofessa. That's AJ Gupta. And this has been The Marketing Stir. Thank you so much. Season two premiere. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at themarketingstir at starista.com. And thanks for listening.